What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. What's up, everybody? My name is Hunter Mitchell. I'm joined once again by my co-host, Leah Edmond, and we are officially at episode two of Point Kentucky. How are you, Leah? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Good. Glad to be back talking volleyball. The season has officially started. Well, we have a special guest. Most of you probably recognize Ajani Teeler, Kentucky's middle blocker, the super senior for Kentucky. Ajani, how are you? Thank you so much for coming on with us. Of course. I'm excited to be y'all's first guest. This is awesome. Thank you for doing this. Absolutely. Yeah, you are our debut. We we were talking about, you know, who can we bring on, especially ahead of that pit match when we're, you know, previewing the attendance record and all that stuff. And Johnny Teeler is one of the more recognizable names that college volleyball in general knows, um, not just Kentucky fans. So we figured that you'd be the perfect kind of intro uh, to, to kick off the home season for Kentucky. Well, you know, we're, we're going to get to pit and all that fun stuff here in a minute. But I want to talk first about you knew relatively early last year. I mean, I think I found out before you all ever even got into the NCAA tournament that you were coming back to Kentucky for a fifth year. What led to that decision and, and how did you know so quickly? <laughs> well, I think whenever it was announced early after COVID happened that that was going to be an option that I knew that my sophomore year, that was something that I was going to want to do. I love this program and the people in it and people like Leah and people that have kind of paved the way for me to be here. And so I've always been extremely grateful for it. And so when we won the national championship 2020 and played two more seasons and that doesn't happen, you kind of have this like thirst for blood and you want that again. And so it's definitely something that I wanted to do again, but also just school. Like I, I want to continue doing school and be here doing it. So it worked out that way. So in terms of like fifth year, what was your goals going into this? Like you said, you won a national championship. You won what, four, five SEC championships at this point, what were your goals going to the season? What were you trying to do? Uh, I, I hope it doesn't sound too hefty of a goal and it shouldn't be, but this group can win a national championship and that's what I want. And I want to win SEC for five times in a row for myself, seven times for this program. And um, it's definitely a goal that's attainable for this group. And so I also have such an appreciation for this program and people like you, Madison, Avery, Kaz, people that have paved the way of how the culture is here. And I want to pass that on to the freshmen. This freshman class is awesome. And so I want to make sure they know what it looks like to run this program as well as you guys made me feel that. And so that's a big goal of mine. Ajani, if, if people aren't familiar with, with you or if they've just tuned in recently, they might, they might not know your story. And, and your story is one of the more unique ones of any athlete that I've covered at Kentucky. Obviously, when you came into Kentucky, you were coming in as a right side hitter. I mean, that was kind of what you were, you know, really known for. And Craig, after that freshman year, kind of said, we got to figure out a way to get Ajani on the court because we're stacked on the right side. We got a lot of talent. But Ajani is too talented to not have her on the court. I remember I did a story on you two years ago, and, and you told me the story about how Craig brought you in his office and put a bunch of positions on a piece of paper and said, which one do you think you can play? For those that don't know about what it was like for you transitioning from a right side hitter to a middle blocker as what are you five foot nine, five foot ten, maybe uh, on a good day? I mean, that's <laughs> an incredibly undersized middle blocker. Talk about that story for those that maybe don't know your story a little bit. Yeah, you talked about it a little bit, but after that freshman season, Craig said, Which position do you think you could play? And honestly, I was like, setter? Like, I don't know, like probably setter. And he was like, No, we want to try to get you to play middle blocker and um at first, when we tried to make that transition, we tried to make it 
way easier by setting higher balls and stuff. But ultimately, I just became like a traditional middle besides running behind a whole lot. And um, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done, honestly. Like, every practice was a bad practice for the first six months. Like, I, I never really got in the groove. And middle blocker, I maybe I'm biased, but is one of the top two tough positions on the court. And so the game speed is so fast and everything changes from blocking just your side of the court to blocking everything across the net. And so it was really hard, but obviously it's been rewarding and it's worked out well. And so it's been really good. I, I will second that middle blocker is probably the hardest position on the court. Like that was one change I was very, very happy to make. So you kind of <laughs> and hate to see it. But speaking of that, as you're a defensive leader on the court, of course, as a middle blocker, that's basically one of your big jobs. How do you lead from a position um, that's only on the court for three rotations? I think people don't realize how yeah. you're on the court so quickly and then you get off. So how do you stay a leader? How do you still stay involved in the game when you're not on the court as much? Yeah, that's really funny you say that. It's a lot of people, especially they don't watch volleyball, don't understand what's happening with the middle. They're like, why'd you get subbed out? And I'm like, I I've only played 50% of the match. And so I think that's really hard in terms of um, only being on the court for three rotations. But one way is you can be communicating with your other middle blocker a lot of the time. So I'm talking to Mel and talking to Jordan Williams about what I'm seeing and what they can be doing differently and same with them to me. And so I think that goes a long way. And also you got, and Leah, you know, like how much we're talking on the bench. We're talking blue and white out of system and free balls and we're cranking up the energy. And so that's really big for us. Johnny, you've hit a little bit on the freshman class that you guys have, but you all have already had a lot of freshmen come in and be really big impact players for you all. What have you seen from this class specifically that really excites you about the rest of the year? Yeah, this class um, is, is the real deal. They're going to be really good across their four years. And, just like a couple that have started the past few matches, Tuzzo and Brooklyn Delay. I've said this to multiple people at this point. Brooklyn Delay like has like national freshman of the year capabilities, SEC player of the year capabilities, and she's insanely good. And so um, she also has this like kind of she's like not really fearful. She'll come in huddles and she'll yell and she'll talk, and I love that. And so she's gonna be a really big deal for us. And then same with Tuzzo, she's really athletic and she's fast and scrappy, and so she's gonna be awesome. But that doesn't end there. The rest of their class is really incredible, incredible people, and they all are really eager to, eager to learn. And so they've been awesome to have around, and they've really um, pushed a lot of other people on the team. Speaking of last weekend, so y'all played your first weekend of matches, and you split one and one. What was the focus coming in to this weekend? You got a big match. We're trying to beat a record in Rev Arena for attendance. What? How do you lock back in? Because you did struggle a little bit this past weekend. What are y'all doing in practice? What are you telling each other to get ready for this game tomorrow? Yeah, I don't think that it came down to talent against uh, Colorado State. I, I think we were the more talented team, but um, we just didn't compete very well, and People want to beat us. We're Kentucky, and people have wanted to beat us since you were here, Lee. And so I think we have to take that a little bit more pride in that and try to be more competitive with ourselves in practice so that it translates over to the game. And so that's something that's been a big focus for us in that realm. But um, we have to serve and pass better, obviously. We missed a lot of serves, and you can blame that on Colorado Air or whatever. We'll probably do that. But um, <laughs> we also defensively blocking were really bad also, and I'll, I'll take a lot of accountability for that. I had to stuff more balls, and so – that's been a, lot, a big focus for us, and we're just excited um, to have all of BBN in there tomorrow night, and it's going to be awesome. And so another opportunity to show ourselves what we can do. 
it felt like in that match, Ajani, I mean, it times all weekend, but you were definitely better against Northern Colorado. You all even had some some timing errors, just connections with with Emma weren't all there. People were transitioning too quickly or too late. Yeah. How, what have you all kind of done this weekend to kind of alleviate some of that? Because I think that was surprising for people, given that you all are an older team. You all have worked with yeah. Emma before. You don't necessarily expect to see you know, timing issues maybe with an older team, but talk about how you all have kind of worked with Emma, especially this week on that and trying to fix that before you all play Pitt. Yeah, I think, um, and I will say with Ben, our new assistant coach coming in, a lot has changed the way we run our offense. And so a lot of that is still working through new things. But I think one way that we've kind of had to work through it is as hitters, we are just not being very loud and communicating with our setters and calling what we want to run. And so that's something that our coaches have harped on a lot in the last few days. And with that, we've just played a ton of sixes. We're really good in drills and we're like perfect in drills and we get to sixes and it's hard to translate. And so just trying to translate over that to six on six in real life games has been big for us this week. You brought up coaches. So I got to ask, what is it like having two alumni in the gym and especially someone that you played with, which I feel like is something that's very rare is that you have a coach that you actually got to play with. So what is it like having Meredith and Madison in the gym with you all? <laughs> um, probably just as you can imagine, you know, both of them very well and just as I do, but two of the most competitive people that ever played in this program. And um, it shows in the way they coach and they are a little edgy, but both of them are so knowledgeable and, um, I'll start with Meredith, like once she knows the sport so well and is able to coach passing and coach blocking and sacking and setting. And so to have her in the gym has been incredible. And obviously Madison knows her stuff and we have three setters in the gym that are all really talented. And so for them to work with a setter of the caliber of Madison Lee has been really big for them also. So it'll definitely pay off come December. Johnny, I obviously don't want you to give away the playbook considering you all played him twice this weekend, but how have you all, has it been difficult or, or different at all preparing for a team like Pitt that does rely on a 6-2 offense? You don't see it quite as often in collegiate volleyball anymore. Has that changed anything for you all, or are you all expecting anything especially different from them this weekend? Um, <laughs> Kind of. We, it, there's a lot of options for them to play tomorrow, honestly. We got our attacker sheet today, and we don't really know who they're going to play, and so that's a little bit different, but honestly, I think most of it's going to come from our side and what we do on our transition, our block and stuff. So we're excited to see, and they have a really talented roster. And so it'll, it should be fun. Speaking of tomorrow's game, if you could say anything to BBN, just give us a, I guess, preview of what we're going to see tomorrow, find a way to sell it, to get people to come into the game tonight, tomorrow night. What would you say? Oh man. Uh, First off, like this is your commercial. <laughs> yeah, my commercial. Sell it, sell it. <laughs> All right, I'm not gonna lie. This may be the most athletic team that we've had here in a really long time. We've got Rebo on the left, on the right, and she's a lefty and she's killing it this season. She has been for a couple of years, and a freshman outside that I think everyone wants to see to get their eyes on for what they're gonna see the next few years. And then um, our middle core group is pretty awesome, and so we're gonna have a lot of flying bodies and fiery plays, and it's gonna be a lot of fun. And so. I don't know if we can fit 92,000 in rough, but we can get as close as possible. So I think once you come to one game, you're going to be hooked and you'll never want to stop coming. So come on out, BBN. Ajani, you, you mentioned it there, but for those that don't know, Nebraska, obviously a couple nights ago, played Omaha and set the world record uh, for any women's sport. 92,000 people packed in, the, in that stadium to watch a volleyball match, which is just absolutely absurd. 
Johnny, we've kind of seen, me and Leah talked about this a little bit last weekend, just about this being almost like the golden era of collegiate volleyball, just the growth the sport has seen the last several years. You know, you and Louisville playing against, playing against each other on ESPN last year during the regular season was just a, a massive deal. We've seen attendance records in the regular season from Wisconsin and Nebraska, obviously doesn't count last night, but in the last couple of years, and then obviously what happened this week. What does it mean to you to see that, A, Kentucky is dedicating – um, the, the monetary funds to the programs like Kentucky Volleyball and even gymnastics and all those other sports that play Memorial to see that Memorial is getting this massive um, upgrade and renovation for partly the volleyball program. They're putting the investment into it, but also that you all are getting to play in a facility like Rupp Arena during this era of volleyball where the sport is growing like crazy. That's just another opportunity, you know, getting to play in a building that is as lauded as Rupp Arena. You know, what does that mean to you and the team and the coaching staff and the program in general? Um, it's definitely not something that we take for granted. Uh, and just since I was a freshman, seeing the sport grow and people, and I'm not to sound cliche, but like people say it all the time, if you build it, people are going to come and people care about women's sports and just to be given the platform or to be given a football stadium, the host 90,000 people, like they're going to come. And so it's been really awesome to continually be standing on other people's shoulders, people like Leah and we're standing on Leah's shoulders and 10 years from now, people will be standing on ours. And so to help grow the game is, I think, all that any of us want. Like, every volleyball player ever that I ever followed on Instagram last night was posting last night's story. Like, this is insane. This is awesome. And that's that's everyone supporting this because I think that's what everyone wants. And um, it's what this sport is heading towards. And like I said, once people watch one game and get hooked, it's, it's done for. And this sport will take over. And so it's really exciting to be a part of that. And Craig, make sure we don't take it for granted. And we're really excited playing Rupp. And get that opportunity and hopefully we take advantage of it. And so it's be the end. So I don't want to jump ahead, but after Pitt, you all have still what would be considered a gauntlet of an off a preseason schedule. How does that feel being in the gym? Cause I know that personally, I would have loved to be able to play some of the teams that y'all got to play. So what does it mean to be able to have that type of competition literally the first three weeks of the season? Yeah, it's a gauntlet is absolutely the right word. It's, um, the schedule's pretty insane, but that's what we come here to play, and that's what's going to prepare us for December. But I, like you said, looking ahead, you can't look ahead because any of those teams could beat us. Houston could beat us. SMU, Purdue could beat us. Nebraska, Louisville, LSU teams are already having great seasons. So uh, just have to take it one step at a time, but it's really exciting to look forward to and know that there's never a game where we can kind of take a break, and that's what we want to do. We want to be going all out every single game. So it's exciting. We'll kind of wrap up with this one, but I'm, I'm sure you've seen the SEC has performed incredibly well already in the non-conference. Florida getting some big-time wins. Arkansas almost had Wisconsin last night. They'll get them again tonight. Um, I mean, the SEC is performing really, really well. That kind of bodes well for you all, but also bad, I guess, for you all, depending on how yeah. you look at it. Whenever you all get to conference play, it's going to be a gauntlet this year, not just in the non-conference, but you are going to have your work cut out for you trying to win that seventh straight title um, in, in the league. What, what have you seen out of, this, uh, out of the conference, I guess? Obviously, we know that Texas is coming over. Oklahoma is coming mm -hmm. over here soon, but the league is already getting better even before they ever get here. Yeah, I was watching Arkansas play Wisconsin last night, and I was like, man, like, again, like I was talking about earlier, like, I hope our team doesn't feel like the SEC is going to be a cakewalk like it may have been in the last few years. Like, any team can beat us, and um, it's really exciting for our league, and I know the SEC can be the best volleyball conference in the country in the next five years, and it's going that way, but even just, like, Big Ten players transferring to teams over here has been really huge, and um, yeah. 
it, it, it can be the best and I know it will be. And so it's really exciting to be a part of, and it's only going to make us better come December again. And so hopefully we're looking at six teams in the tournament this year from this league. That would be awesome. Anything else, Leah? Nope. I'm good. All right. Thank you so much for Johnny. We are so excited that you were our first guest. Um, best of luck this weekend. You will obviously play Pitt tomorrow at Rupp, um, but then you're traveling to Pittsburgh for a matchup with the Panthers again on Sunday. So best of luck. Um, we will see you tomorrow. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you guys. Bye Lee. Bye. All right, Leah. Well, we talked about it a little bit with Ajani, but why don't you and I break down last weekend just a little bit more? Um, we're not going to go into too much detail because obviously we have a big weekend to cover this weekend. Um, but what did you see? Again, Ajani hit on it a little bit in that Colorado State match. What did you see from Kentucky that kind of kind of ended up being the reason they fell 3-1 um, to Colorado State? Definitely service was the big, big thing because it's really hard when your setter is running around the court or if she doesn't even get a chance to touch the ball to really put pressure on another team. So that's coming from their side of the net, serving a ball tough enough to get the other, to get Colorado State out of system. That wasn't happening as much as it needed to be. And then being able to not allow Colorado State to get on multiple runs, which also happened. It was like they got one point, then it was two, three, four, and it started piling up on each other. And they got stuck a lot in those rotations that I was talking about last yep. week when you only have two hitters front row. You don't really have that many options. They weren't really using Reagan in the back row. So you really only had two people. And if those two people are struggling, it's going to get really, really hard to get out of the rotation. So it's kind of like taking too long to get out of those runs and letting them get too many runs at a time because those add up really, really quickly. And we hit on it a little bit with Ajani. Um, but they had a lot of problems just with, with things like timing and, and mis misconnections with Emma and her, hit, her hitters. Uh, people just not transitioning fast enough or transitioning too late. And Kentucky, I mean, they had 21 hitting errors in that one, 13 service errors. So they gave Colorado State 34 points, more than a set's worth. You're not going to win very many games like that. And that was a true road game. I think Colorado State ended up packing like 7,700 people in that gym. So, I mean, it was not an easy place to play that night. They were, they were there and ready, and they came out. And they let Kentucky beat Kentucky. They they knew, as Ajani said, they weren't more athletic than Kentucky. Not many teams are going to be because of the athletes that Kentucky has. But they came in and very clearly, immediately said, we're going to let them make the errors that are going to beat them. And yep. I think you saw that. Look, part of it's probably nerves. I mean, I'm, you played for Kentucky. I'm sure you experienced those first game nerves. You're excited. You've been waiting all summer to finally get to play again. And you know, your first game's a road game, and you had to travel there, so you're itching to go. And I think that was definitely part of it. But we saw a lot more errors from a team that, again, with Craig is the is the coach. You don't see teams that have a lot of errors with him now. The last few years, he's always been a defensive minded coach, but the mm -hmm. offense has really picked up the last several years with Madison Lilly and Emma Grom, um, you know, being the setter. So you're going to have more errors when you have an offense that's faster and higher tempo, that kind of stuff. Um, but but they really struggled in that regard. Friday night, they were a little bit better on Saturday. They mm -hmm. still had some some miscues, stuff like that, but they cleaned things up a lot. I felt like they balanced the offense a lot better. They had, I think, four players reach double figures that evening. Uh, led by Reagan Rutherford, who had 17. She's had a great, a great year. You know, you you kind of touched on the back row attack, and Leah, we hit it with this. You hit on this with you last week, but that back row, especially when you're in those two hitter rotations, if you don't pass a perfect ball to Emma and serve receive, it's not available. It, it that set is too hard to make. 
to get it to Rega in a spot where she can do anything with it if you aren't having a good first contact on serve. And so especially against a team like like Pittsburgh, you're going to have to make sure that serve receive is coaches say it all the time and it's such a cliche answer in volleyball, but it really truly is the the foundational piece of what the sport's about. If you do not have a good first contact, you cannot run an offense effectively. And I think that was one of the biggest things that we saw against Colorado State. Yeah, and I think it gets even more frustrating when you hear that Northern Colorado then beat Colorado State right after Kentucky left. And so then in your head, you're like, dang it. So it really was us because we beat Northern Colorado. That game wasn't the prettiest, but we beat them. But then for them to go beat a team that we really struggled in, that definitely means it was on them. It's not Colorado State. But definitely, I mean, in volleyball, and we're going to talk about it throughout the podcast, there are things set in serve-receive. As in offensive-wise, there are certain plays that you're supposed to run. And when you don't pass well, that cancels out all of that. That means the ball is usually higher, which for defenses is so much easier to pick up. And so being out of system, not getting the center of the ball really kind of just screws your whole game plan because it comes easy for them to read. And I just think coming into this weekend, you got a team that keeps three hitters front row at all time, which means that you're going to have a lot of weapons going against you. You have to be on it. And especially from that serve receive game, because I mean, it is, it is the foundation of volleyball if you cannot do that you're not going to win a lot of games and if you can't put the pressure on the other team then you're it's going to be really really hard for your defense and for someone like z who she sets the defense and if that ball is perfect there are three four options and that's really really hard for her to set up a defense when she has no clue who's coming to her so they really got to really get in on that serve game which they did so much better on on sunday really putting the ball away and really aiming on their targets. You could definitely tell who they were aiming for and they were hitting mm-hmm. those targets well. So they really got to transfer that over to tomorrow and the rest of this weekend. Leah, let's talk about that defense because I think a lot of people were surprised to see Colorado State outblock Kentucky 12-2. to And that's a big number for any team, but especially a team as athletic as Kentucky that play four sets and only have two total team blocks is honestly crazy. It's a really, really low number. What is it, what can Kentucky do like what can you do as a, as a blocker to change that when you're going up a team going up against a team like Pittsburgh that is physical is aggressive is athletic so a lot of what I saw on Saturday and we're gonna get a little technical is a lot of the blocks are going off of hands or straight down in front of them so a lot of they were getting touches they were getting the right spot the just foundational the technique wasn't there so I think it has to go back to the basics of I'm pressing my hands over the net I'm standing in front of my hitter I'm not moving a bunch because the more you're moving defensively the less chance you have of digging and so against a Pittsburgh team like I said that's going to have three hitters coming at you at the same time because they're running a 6-2 you have to be really really disciplined on the block and I mean they are a very physical team going against another physical team so I'm expecting to see a lot of blocking a lot of touches but it goes down to technique wise going back to your foundation and really doing the things that the basics that we're all taught to do in volleyball well let's transition to pittsburgh like we mentioned kentucky has two matches against the panthers this weekend the first of which will be home tomorrow friday night and they'll go to pittsburgh on sunday I don't know if you got a chance to watch that match they played against BYU. That Pittsburgh actually also mm-hmm. lost their first match of the season uh, in four sets against BYU. Pittsburgh's an interesting team. We've talked about it a little bit. Uh, they they run an offense. We've we've hinted at it a six two offense. Let's start. You, why don't you explain for for those of us watching what is a six two offense and how does it differentiate from what Kentucky is running, which is a five one. 
So I'll start with Kentucky. A 5-1 means there are five hitters, one setter on the court at all times. And a 6-2, it's like, wait a second, 6-2, that sounds like way more people than it's supposed to be on the court. And technically it kind of is, but it's not. So basically your setter is never front row. When you run a 6-2, your setter is always in the back row. And every time that setter rotates to the front row, a right side will go in for her. And that right side that'd be serving, a setter will come in for them. So they will always have three hitters front row. So they will always have a right front, a middle front, and a left front hitting. And you very rarely see someone coming from the back row. If it does, it might be an outside. But a lot of the focus is having those three hitters at all time, which makes it extremely difficult for a defense to be able to play because you have three people coming at you all the time. You never get that break of having just two in a setter. So when we talk about that, it sounds like, oh, how do you beat that, right? It's like, oh, mm -hmm. they have three hitters available. What do you can do? Well, if you look at that match against BYU, for those that didn't get to watch it, the reason BYU had success is because they kept Pittsburgh out of system mm -hmm. in serve receive. We keep talking about it and how important that is. We've already touched on this being one of Kentucky's best serving teams, maybe the best Craig has ever had here. And he's mentioned it in the preseason. We saw it in that game against Northern Colorado. Molly Tuzzo had five aces. Yeah. I think she had four straight um, in that first set when they were coming from behind. So we know that this is a Kentucky team that can put a lot of pressure on opposing teams from the serve. When you're playing a team that runs a 6-2, that is the key to getting them off balance. When Pittsburgh struggled against BYU, they had a ton of errors in that game. That's the reason why they didn't have any success. I think they finished that match with something like 32 kills and like 34 errors. You're not going to win very many games that way. You can't. You, you, they didn't have enough offense generated, and they had far too many errors. When you have a setter that is playing in the back row, you have to understand, too, do not ever jump with that setter because yeah. they cannot dump it. Now, Again, in that game against BYU, when BYU started having success, Dan Fisher said, all right, we got to pull the 6-2, let's go with the 5-1. If you can get Pittsburgh to a point where they are abandoning their entire offensive game plan and throwing the 5-1 back in it, you've got them on their heels. And, and that's going to be a, a big area of emphasis, I think. Kentucky needs to strike early against this Pitt team, get them uncomfortable. And if you get them to where they're not running the 6-2 anymore, where they're running the 5-1, the five one, um, you've got them off balance enough that they're scrambling. And so we'll run through a little bit of names for, for, for players to watch out for um, for Pittsburgh. Their L1 is Valeria Vasquez-Gomez. She was a second-team ABC All-American. She's been with Pittsburgh for, I think, this is her redshirt senior year. So she's an experienced hitter on the left side. She's going to be getting a lot of the balls um, on that left pin for Pittsburgh. They actually have a, a Florida transfer that Kentucky has played um, before seen several several times Bree Kelly she came in from Florida she was second on the team in blocks for Florida throughout our, throughout last season so they've got a big block and they've got a big time hitter they've got a freshman Tori Stafford who's playing six rotations for them you mentioned they don't go to the back row attack a lot because they run that six two but they do go to it occasionally again when they're in system mm -hmm. if they're in system they legitimately have four players they can attack you with and if you're trying to guess which of the four positions is going to attack the ball it's too hard you're not going to get blocks Right, and we've talked about how important blocks and block touches are for slowing things down. So I want you to break it down a little bit more for me. Did you ever play any 6 twos when you were at Kentucky? I'm trying to think about if you all even had. I don't think you all played Pittsburgh, and that's the only no. one I know that even runs it. It's not a very common thing to do. I mean, in the professional world, I was telling Hunter this earlier that the most times you ever do it is when you need a blocking sub. Like when I have an undersized setter and we need to put – 
uh, another hitter front row to stop somebody, but it's not a very common thing to run. It might be something you do in the middle of a game. It's one of those like, hey, we need to do something different. We need to leave three hitters front row. It's not something you practice. So for Pitt yeah. to practice it, for it to be their scheme, for what they're known for is very different. And it's probably something we probably won't see again the rest of the season. If you do, it's one of those, like I said, quick switches that they need to do something different. But yeah, it definitely it's something you want to practice against, though, because you never know. And I mean, like right. Pitt is a team that's made the past two Final Fours. So it's not like it's not it's working. It, what, what they're doing is working. But that's also a team that's very experienced of going the mile. So they know exactly what they need to do to play well. They played the Kentuckys. They played four or five Kentuckys to get to where they were at. So it's just they got to play clean. Kentucky has to play clean. They have to put what happened last weekend behind them because it's done. And they also have to settle because it's first home game. It yep. means something. It counts now. You're trying to break a record. You cannot let those things get in the way of volleyball because it's very, very easy. I mean, I've played in the sold out Memorial Coliseum. It's very easy to be like antsy and get overwhelmed by how many people are there and what's going on and the hype behind the game. And they really have to lock in and make sure they don't let that get in the way of volleyball, especially since they were struggling a little bit coming into this weekend. And we've talked about Pitt 6-2 and how strange that in general is, but even Pitt 6-2 specifically is a little bit strange because they actually, one of their setters doesn't just set. So Rachel Fairbanks, when she is in the front row, she is the right side attacker, and they will have a setter come in and play as the back row. Alexis Akea will set. But when Rachel Fairbanks rotates to the back row, she'll stay in, and then she becomes the setter when she's in the back. So it's even a little bit strange because it's not like they're doing double subs, right, where you're bringing in a right side and taking the setter out. You do that for one time, but the other time, Rachel Fairbanks is going to play all six of those rotations. When she is in the front row, she is going to be attacking. But when she gets to that back row, that's when she'll transition into being a setter. Again, if you are Kentucky and the setter is at the net, unless they switch to that 5-1, yeah. do not jump with the setter because they can't dump, they can't joust, and if that ball goes over the plane of the, plane of the net, it's free game. And those are the things that I think, again, when you're so used to playing teams that run the same kind of offense that you do, where they only have one setter and that setter can play in the front row, it can be hard to break that habit of making sure you're staying with the setter and, and, and not cheating off of her in case she dumps. That's not a threat with Pitt unless they get to a point where Dan Fisher says, we're scrambling, let's abandon the 6-2 and throw back in the 5-1. I know that's a lot of technicalities, but that's one of those things where when you're watching this game tomorrow, pay attention. If all of a sudden you don't see that setter coming in, recognize, okay, they are in the 5-1, and all of a sudden that setter can then dump the ball over the net on two or joust at the net or go up for a block, like all that kind of stuff. Um, I think it's going to be a fun weekend. This is like, like Ajani said. This is a very athletic Kentucky team. I'll give you so much credit. You had Brooklyn DeLay pinned from the exhibition. I mean, you, before then, but we talked obviously after the exhibition match and how talented she could be for Kentucky, and she has not disappointed. What she has given Kentucky on that left pin in that second L2 spot has been incredibly impressive, especially as a freshman. She doesn't get rattled. She's got good size. She's a good blocker. Her serve is great. I Again, she is going to get better and better. I would not be surprised if she found a way to work her way into a six rotation outside, whether that's this year or next year or any time. You went so far as to say she could break your kills record. I don't know if that's possible. I mean, you have every offensive record in the record books, whether you know that or not. I, I go down to the record books, and I'm like, games with 20-plus kills, Leah Edmond, 30-plus, Leah Edmond, 10-plus, Leah Edmond. Okay, so I'm not sure if she'll get there. If she did, it'd be great, but 
Uh, she's been a, a revelation for Kentucky. And again, we saw last week, we saw two middles. We saw Elise play in that Colorado State game, and she was phenomenal. We saw her. We saw Jordan Williams play in that second game. So we're seeing that depth that we talked about. It's going to be on full display again, especially when you're playing two, two games in three days and you're mm-hmm. traveling and all that kind of stuff. Don't be surprised if you see Craig going to his bench, especially in that left pin in the middle. Um, he, he's probably going to rely heavily on that depth. Yeah. Well, we talked about Pitt. Let's get to your segment, Acing It with Leah. Teach us something about volleyball. What are you teaching us tonight? So in honor of the first game being tomorrow and hopefully having so many new fans there, we got to go. Hopefully. Like, hopefully. You should see you there if you're watching If this. you don't have plans, you do. You should be there. to Rupp Arena. I will definitely be there with a lot of my former teammates, and we're really excited to see that. But there's refs, you know, and a lot of the things the refs do – um, they don't really talk about like it's not you're not mm-hmm. going to hear it over the announcement when we score a point most of the time it's just kind of like a point Kentucky and they got it so there's a lot of signals that the refs hold up that I think is like super important for us to know you know like when we get the point when they point to us but there's so many other things that they show that would be really interesting to know because then you don't have to be in the stands and be like what just happened why did they get the point or why didn't we get the point and especially with the 6-2 I have a feeling you might see a couple of these signals especially the back row signal a lot once things get into um, trouble. So that's what we're doing today. We're looking on ref signals. So when you see the refs holding up numbers or making weird signals with their arms, you'll know what that means. So starting with numbers, if you see a ref hold up a two, that means a double. So in the second and third contact, that ball technically cannot move. So first contact off of a serve, it can spin as much as you want it to off of a dig, it can. But once it gets to that setter's hand, they're expecting basically perfection. So that means that that ball cannot spin. You cannot touch it with both with both hands, have to touch the ball simultaneously. So it can't Leah, be against BYU, Pittsburgh had a lot of problems with yeah. that. They were called for a lot of doubles. Dan Fisher got a yellow card because they were called <laughs> for so many yellows. So yeah. that, that's a very good thing to, to point out. And it's not, it's a judgment call. So mm-hmm. half of the ball um, calls I'm about to explain are called judgment calls, which means that Craig or Dan cannot challenge it at all, which means that it's up to the ref's discretion. So if the ref said, hey, it looked like a double to me, then you can't argue it. You can you can't argue it. It's not going to change. <laughs> it won't go well for you. <laughs> it won't go for you. You'll probably get a yellow card, but it won't change. And that's kind of the part of volleyball that kind of stinks is like you're at the discretion of someone else. So like everybody else might think it's a double. You'll definitely hear at some point a whole bench go double or two because we think it's a double, but it's all up to the ref. Um, another number you might see is a four. So, you know, in volleyball, you can only have three touches. Um, and so sometimes there are times where you might touch the ball four times and or the ball doesn't make it over the net and so they hold up a four sweet luna as you can hear her that is my sweet puppy (laughs) that wants to make her appearance known anyway and so that kind of goes up sometimes you never see really somebody do that intentionally it's kind of one of those close calls especially at the net that you might see for if the ref thinks you weren't blocking Mm -hmm. um another you might see is this so usually it's a 90 degree angle and you're bending over that means back row so it can be called in two different ways so if you see someone swinging from the back row they can't cross that 10 foot line so if even a little bit of their foot touches it your back row you can't jump in front of the 10 foot line if you're back row or with pit for example their setter is usually back row 
that means that they cannot attack the ball. So if they go up trying to save a ball from going to the net and it goes over and they score, or it looks like they're attacking it like a dump, that's a back row attack. So if I'm Kentucky, I am swinging every time mm -hmm. a ball gets tight because then if a setter touches it, it's considered a block, which is back row. Mm -hmm. So that's what we try to tell us ourselves a lot is an all chances you swing. If you swing, there's a better chance of you getting the point, but it can be again, a judgment call um, back row on the line can be um, challenged though. So if let's say that they call back row attack and Craig is like, no, that wasn't a back row attack. He can challenge that. Um, another one that you might see is then um, the ref touch the net, kind of bring their arm to the net. That's a net call. Usually you see that from the ref that's on the floor. It means somebody was in the net and no part of your body can touch the net. That includes hair. Sometimes you'll see hair get called, but shoulders, chest, feet, any part of your body cannot touch the net at any point. And that's a safety thing. Um, we, I will always respect the net being called because you want to stay out of it because you're so close with people. And speaking of being close, you can also get called for a middle line violation, which means that you went under the net during play. And that's really, really crucial to say is the ball has to be in play in your area. Um, sometimes you can get away with, let's say I fell under the net, but the ball was on the right side of the court. Sometimes they don't call that, but if you're jumping, the ball is above you at the net and you go under, that is a violation. They stop it immediately. That is like one of the most dangerous things ever because people will step on each other's feet and it can ruin a lot of ankles. And I have been a victim of that one. And so that can be a little antsy. Then you might see another called a lift and you'll see the ref do that motion like you're lifting a ball. That's also a judgment call, which can get a little antsy. Um, usually it's getting called when the ball is like being picked up. So if your ball, if their hands are open, that's usually going to be called a lift. Um, you really don't see that one very often unless somebody does not blatantly. You just really try to do close fist. Um, another one that I hate um, is a throw or a carry that they'll call when it looks like you're throwing the ball. Or most of the time that's called when your hand is like too far back. If the ball's like behind your head and you kind of send it over, they're going to be like, yeah, you threw that. I've been called a lot of those. Yeah, power tip. <laughs> I can't hear you. <laughs> so that usually you'll see like a tip uh, throw to the ground by the middles. Kaz Brown was notorious for I this. Say, you had a um, that got called for that all the she time. never got called. She drove never got called for it. nuts. It drove people nuts. Like, I mean, it was crazy because I mean, some of them were a little they were bad. They, they were, were bad. some of them were really bad. And I mean, like, just think like if you threw a tennis ball down on the ground, that's kind of the thing we're looking for and I mean there's other calls like an out you know what that means in and then this would be a touch so that means someone touched the ball whether that's off the block off defense and then something you see very very rarely in our game is a serving um, line violation which means that you cross the back line when you're serving because you can't do that but other than that, it's kind of like the basics of volleyball calls so when you see some of that going on now you'll know what it means a lot of them are judgment calls and I guess replay because that might come into play tomorrow there are about four replay cams so usually there's two on the net and then you have one from above and usually someone from the sidelines and so they right. can you can replay uh or you can um 
challenge a touch. So either a touch off the block or a touch off of defense. You can challenge a net call. So if you thought somebody was in the net, you can challenge that. You can challenge a back row attack. So if you thought somebody was over that back line swinging and you can challenge in out and um, serving. Sometimes I believe you can. I don't know if that's college or international, but you can challenge if someone crossed that back line and you can. You can. You can yeah. challenge that. Two challenges. And and Leah, there's also there's one more thing to a back row attack that is super uncommon. I don't know if you want to touch on it involving liberos. It actually happened. Um, yeah. I think yeah, it, ha it happened last it happened. night in the Wisconsin yeah. match against Arkansas. <laughs> if you want to hit on that, because I didn't realize this rule about liberos until probably three years ago. Yeah. So liberos, that's the person in the different colored jersey. Um, since they are an all-time back row player, they are not allowed to use their hands in front of the ten line. So if you ever see a libero use their hands, they're usually behind the 10 foot line. But if they use it in front to like set or even um, play a ball with their hands, it is a back row attack. And so you're technically not allowed to jump. So let's say a libero sets me and everybody says like, stay down. And I down ball, like I stay with my feet on the ground, that won't get called. But as soon as I jump and hit a ball that a libero set with her hands, then it's a back row attack. And again, I know that rule sounds obscure, but when you're yeah. playing a team like Pitt where your setter is always in the back row, they're going to take some of those first contacts, yeah. which means the libero is usually the one in charge of that second contact. So again, they have to make sure if they're going to set with their hands, it has to happen behind that 10 foot line. Last night in that Arkansas game, that's the libero actually did a back set with her hands. Yeah. And she had her foot behind that 10-foot line and took off and back set it, ended up in front of that 10-foot line. It was called actually for a violation until they challenged it and they realized, wait, no, she she took off from behind that 10-foot line, so it's completely legal. So that's more of an obscure rule. You don't see it as much, but when you're playing a team that's kind of strange with their offensive scheme, the way that Pittsburgh is, um, we want to make sure that we talk about even those little obscure rules because when they don't come into play, knowing our luck, we wouldn't talk about it and it would happen four and times they tomorrow, do so. it. and yeah. watch out for those subs too you get 15 subs yeah. a set, and with a team like Pitt that is subbing if they're rotating a lot if there's a lot of back and forth they might start to run out of those so yeah and that happens in close matches all the time so if this yeah. ends up being a close match and you're going extra points you know 28 26 or something you can start running out of subs and then you've got a defensive specialist playing in the front row um which has happened a few times to Kentucky I actually happened to Meredith Jewell one of their assistant coaches I think you were on the team that year Leah do you remember that game uh I don't remember the game but I know so that I, I know think you were on the team she got rotated in the front row against Tennessee and came over the block and one the of block. the ending oh my goodness. and, and she actually helped can help Kentucky win the set and I remember when she got that block the bench went bonkers because again yeah. she's an undersized defensive specialist and she rotated the front row and came up with a big time point yeah. we were down anyway. like five points in the fourth and yeah when that set we would have gone the five i very much remember yeah that. yeah that was a very crazy meredith jewel moment that is ingrained oh, yeah. in my memory <laughs> <laughs> all right guys well i think that about wraps us up um i had so much fun talking to ajani really enjoyed getting to talk to her i, I you all know she is one of the most genuine people that you can come into contact with. Uh, I, I've gotten to know her pretty well over the last four years of her career, and she is just such a gem. Always super grateful to be able to talk about volleyball and tell her story. So super thankful for her for coming on. Leah, thank you again. Uh, I, I, every week that you're on, I'm like, man, it's so cool having Leah Edmund as the co-host because yeah. you are so knowledgeable about the sport, and everyone is so appreciative of what you did for the program. So, so grateful for you and, and what you've been able to teach the game. 
Again, guys, if you all do not have plans tomorrow, even if you do have plans tomorrow, cancel them. Get to Rupp Arena, not only for the fact that we're trying to break an attendance record, but it's just going to be a really good volleyball game. Number 10, Pitt. Number 15, Kentucky. Two teams that both have Final Four potential. Pitt has been there two years in a row. They're going to play Louisville twice in the regular season, so they're going to be a team that is going to be in the mix, as they have been for the last several years, Kentucky is trying to obviously get back to that Final Four. So this weekend is going to be some incredible volleyball. Make sure you are at Rupp Arena. The game is at 7 o'clock tomorrow. Purchase your tickets in advance because if you have your ticket on your phone and you show it at the gate, you get free parking. So make sure you don't have to worry about paying for parking, anything like that. Get their gates open an hour prior to first serve so you all can get in, get your seat. Uh, get your snacks, all that fun stuff. But this is the official debut home opener, um, the one that counts. The exhibition match against Western was great, but this one counts when your record now counts for seeding in, in the end of the year. Um, so this is a, a big-time game, and they are really, really pushing that attendance record, which I think is about 9,400. They set it against LSU back in the 90s. So trying to fit about 10,000 people or more. They would, I'm sure they'd love to fit 15,000 people in there if they could. So if you don't have plans, if you do, get to Rupp. It's going to be a great night of volleyball. Leah will be there. I will be there. Come say hi if you see us. We're going to have a lot of fun. Um, but thank you all again for tuning in. This is our first live episode. I think it was a lot of fun. It went well. My mic fell off me, so I had to scramble a little bit to figure that out for the next episode. But thank you all for listening. Thank you for joining, Leah. Thank you again for coming. And we will see you guys next week. See ya.